B'Shem Hashem Na'asev Nasliyah. Welcome everyone to our weekly shiur on the parasha with the perush of the Zera Shimshon. Tonight's parasha is parashat Bo, and Bezrat Hashem will be covering one of the Drushim, Derush Gimel, the third Derush of the Zera Shimshon. Just as a reminder to everyone, the Sigula of the Zera Shimshon, Allah Shalom, his promise to everyone that um, learns his Torah, teaches his Torah, is that he promises that whoever does so will be granted Bezrat Hashem. He will daven for that person that if they need to get married, they should be able to get married as soon as possible. If they need children, they should have children as soon as possible. And many miracles have come about already. Uh, there's stories about so many people from all over the world, how they've literally seen Yeshuot ben Hamot. And we shall see the same Bezrat Hashem in the Zechut of the Zerah Shimshon. Um, that it goes without saying that being in the shiur, watching the shiur, um, you could have a part in this by sharing the videos. So please, if you've watched the shiur or if you're here, once it goes, once it goes on YouTube or on TorahAnyTime.com or on Spotify or anywhere else that you watch or listen to the shiur, please do share it with your friends and family members. It's a big, big zechut. You get a part in sharing Zerah Shimshon's Torah. Okay, this shiur is dedicated for the Rafu'ah Shalema of Kol, Chole Am Yisrael, especially and also okay The Pasuk says in Parashat Bo, this is the parsha that discusses the end of the makot, the, the plagues that came upon Egypt by the word of Hashem. And Moshe Rabbeinu was asked by Hashem to go and tell Paro about the last coming plagues on Egypt. And it says as follows, Moshe Rabbeinu goes to tell Paro, that the last plague of Makat Bechorot will hit Mitzrayim at a certain time. Moshe Rabbeinu says as follows, Ko amar Hashem, so has said Hashem, halayla. It's a very famous pasuk. It's one of the famous questions on the Torah and Moshe Rabbeinu. Va'amru chachamim zal. De Moshe amar kachatzot. Moshe Rabbeinu of blessed memory said, that Hashem will smite the Egyptian firstborns at about midnight and he did not say at midnight so that the astrologers of Paro will not make a mistake to say that Moshe is a liar here's what happened HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe Rabbeinu that at midnight, I will smite the Egyptian firstborns. At midnight means at midnight. That's what prophecy is. When Hashem says at midnight, it means midnight. No ifs, no buts. But when Moshe Rabbeinu went to relay this message to Paro, he did not say bachatzot, at midnight. He said kachatzot, which means about midnight. And there's a lot of question from the Farashim as to why did Moshe Rabbeinu do this? Why did Moshe Rabbeinu change the word of God? 
So one of the reasons, the main reason that is given is that Moshe Rabbeinu did not want the the astrologers of Paro to make a mistake in timing. And therefore, by them making a mistake, they'll think, oh, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu was a liar. How so? They won't know exactly when midnight is, like God knows. God knows exactly when midnight is. You know, They might not know exactly when midnight is going to hit. And they're going to be like, according to our calculations, midnight was at 12.03. God smite, or smit, Smith or Johnson, <laughs> God smit the firstborns at 12.05. That's not midnight. Moshe Rabbeinu lied. It's two minutes after midnight. So therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu made a decision not to say at midnight. He said about midnight. So if it's before, according to the, according to the strategies, if it's a little before, if it's a little after, no one's going to come out to be a liar. You know, it's the Jewish thing to do. I'll be there soon. What does that mean? God knows. Quite literally. Okay? That's Jewish weddings. You know, Chupa, 6.30. I'll see you at 9. <laughs> and even then, you won't be on time. Right? Okay. <laughs> Maybe this is where it started. Oh! You know, I just thought about it. Maybe this is where it's like, God says... I'll hit the Egyptian firstborns at midnight. Moshe was like, ah, about midnight, around then, sometime. <laughs> yes. Yes. Please pay attention, Shauna. Okay. I am sorry I asked, Shauna. Umachshim ha'olam, the world literally says, the world asks, it's a commonly asked question. Question. Shemikon makom, that despite, nevertheless, despite this question, Moshe should have still relayed exactly what Hashem told him. You don't get to change God's word. Hashem said, at midnight, and you should have said, at midnight. Why change it to about midnight? Right? Or at least, if you're going to change God's word, don't say, so has God said. Skip that. And just tell Paro, by the way, God's going to smite the Egyptian firstborns at about midnight. Don't say, so has God relayed to me. Once you say God has said, you have to say what he actually said. You can't change it. Right? Ella, it should have said, the Pasuk really, Vayomer Moshe Moshe said at about midnight. But it doesn't say Moshe said. It says Moshe said, this is what Hashem has said. But that's not what Hashem said. Furthermore, once they had already seen, this is a really good question, right? This is actually what we base our belief in the Torah ourselves. I'll explain how maybe later, but it says, Once they had already seen all the different plagues, there were already nine plagues that have already befallen the, the people of Egypt. Once they've already seen everything play out so perfectly, why would they even question it? Like they already knew it's going to be a met. Like they're going to be pickpointing like, oh, Moshe said at midnight, but it wasn't. Ah, 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 ah. Why would they do that? They've already seen that everything else worked out perfectly like clockwork. Why would this like throw them off? You understand the question? 
fantastic. And furthermore, it's so nice to see you, Johnny. Just want to mention that I've seen your shoes. And furthermore, my What's the difference? Kind of hurts the eye. Thank you for putting it down because the light was shining in it, and I was like, colors. <laughs> Helen, you're from out of town, and I feel sorry for you sitting here seeing all the abuse to the students. You know. <laughs> I know, she's probably thinking to herself, like, what is going on in this community? Like, <laughs> oh, you've seen worse. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, that's right, you come from Miami. Oh, yeah. My enough coming out, it's like, it says, and furthermore, what's the difference between one minute to another with these astrologers? Why would they care if it's like a minute off? What's the big deal? Were they really that, like, you know, on time, exact, like, care whether it's like one minute to this minute? Was it really midnight? Was it technically midnight? Was it really, like, why would they really care? Why is this so important? That's why he's asking. Why is it so important that Moshe Rabbeinu had to change God's word? Because, ah, oh, maybe they won't be exact and they're going to think God doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, Really? Because at the end of the day, as long as the Makkah hit at that night, at about midnight, right? Why would you even say or think that they're going to be like, oh, you liar. You said at midnight and it was late 30 seconds. Like, they didn't have digital watches. But I'm saying like, you know? Moreover, The fact that the plague was at midnight precisely. But Moshe Rabbeinu actually said at about midnight. The Jews themselves would question Moshe Rabbeinu. Forget the, uh, forget the Egyptians. The Jews would be like, hold on a second. You said at about midnight, but it wasn't at about. It was at, on the di- midnight. What do you, what do you, why'd you do that? Weren't they in their homes that night? How would they even know? They had watches. No, I know, but they were inside their homes. They, were they had clocks. Yeah, but how did they hear? The clocks were silent clocks. No, I don't see yeah, these questions. The Jews were inside their homes. How would they even know? They had ways of determining what time it is. No, I know, but how would they know what's going on outside? What do you mean? But the time was... The night, the night this happened, the Jews were instructed to stay inside their homes. Okay, okay. So even if it wasn't exactly at midnight, they wouldn't know that the firstborn died until the morning. When okay, they how would they know? Okay, so it says the Torah says that there was there were screams and cries coming from every home yeah. at that moment. Yeah. So they could tell from the screams that it started. So weren't they in Gershon? Huh? The Jews in Gershon. Yes, but Gershon wasn't like a different country. It was in the middle of Mitzrayim. Goshen. Did I say Goshen? Goshen. Yes. yes. All right, here we go. Now that we've mentioned, did you have another question? Yeah. If they did have watches and they're using the stars and the moon, then about and had is the same thing. There was no precision. No, believe it or not, uh, they, had, they had wisdom beyond our understanding. And they, they, they were much more exact than we are right now. And you'll see some things right now. 
Now, introduction so that we can understand the answer that's going to be given. Okay? All right. <clears throat> there is something called the Shiva Kocheve Lechet, which in English translated is the seven moving celestial bodies. These are planets, okay, that rule on time, meaning rule during time, and each one has its own hour, and the hour that falls for that planet, that, power has, that planet has certain powers on earth meaning it has certain influences on the things that happens on earth. Okay? That's called the Shiva Kocheve Lechet. They're the seven celestial planets, uh, 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 bodies that are made, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created. And those have a, basically an abbreviation, which is, the abbreviation is Shetzem Hanchal, which stands for I'll go in, in order. Shabtai, which is Saturn. Tzedek is Jupiter. Ma'adim is Mars. Chama is the Sun. Norah is, the, is Venus. Kochav is Mercury. And Levana is the Moon. These are the seven celestial beings that have certain powers and influences on the Earth. And each one has their own time. And this seven cycle repeats itself. It starts with Shabtai, which is Saturn. It has its hour, then it, it, it goes into Jupiter, Mars, so on and so forth, and it just keeps repeating itself seven cycles. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So far clear, this is like literally kindergarten stuff, right? Like, <laughs> so far it's clear. No, the celestial bodies just repeat themselves in order. Meaning, let's say one o'clock is Shabtai, two o'clock is Jupiter, then eight o'clock would be Shabtai again, nine o'clock would be Jupiter again. That's so what I'm talking about. It's arbitrary of where they are located in space. Exactly. Okay, okay good. I'm glad you're following because I'm not. All right. So now, now that we know, the way it works is Mercury starts ruling, so to speak. I'm using the word ruling, meaning influence, the influence of Mercury. Starts right after Shabbat, followed by the moon in the second hour, followed by Saturn in the third hour, and etc. That's how it goes. Okay? Now. So if you obviously, if you follow these patterns, you will understand what planets were influencing the hour, the time that B'nai Israel were leaving Egypt. Right? All you have to do is just follow the patterns and see, okay, when did it start? What day did we leave Egypt? And since we know it was midnight, yada yada, you will understand, you will know what planet's turn it was to influence. So... So the time of the Makat Bechorot, when, when, when Hashem was bringing the plague of the firstborns, was a Wednesday night, as, as, as is said in Masechet Shabbat, in the Gemara. So during the first hour of the night, the sun was governing, 
During the second hour, it was Venus. During the third, it was Mercury. During the fourth, the moon. During the fifth, Saturn. During the sixth, Jupiter. And in the seventh hour, Mars was the governor, so to speak. Had the influence. Now, you have to understand Hashem killed the firstborns specifically at midnight in an order to understand why we have to understand which planets were influencing midnight of Wednesday night when Makat Bechorot really hit. That's what we're trying to determine. Okay? What planet had its influencing power on that part of the world at the time for us to be able to answer this question? Okay? It gets easier from here on. This was just an introduction just for us to understand what we're really talking about. So if you don't get it, I can't help you. Ve'yesh <laughs> lomar. You, you following so far? Ve'yesh lomar. So he says now, to answer our question, what was our question? Just basically, if I want to recap the question, why did Moshe Rabbeinu come to Paro and say, Hashem has said that he's going to smite the firstborns of Egypt at about midnight. But God had said He's going to hit the, Jew, uh, hit the Egyptian firstborns at midnight, exactly. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu say at about midnight when God said at midnight exactly? Okay. So he says, I love how he says, as it's known. It is known that according to the sequence of these bodies, at midnight, middle of the hour of the midnight of Makat Bechorot, Wednesday night, the planet Jupiter was governing during the sixth hour. Which is the last hour of the first half of the night, meaning the hour before midnight. It was the hour right before midnight. It was Jupiter. Sorry. It's a tongue twister. The, the, the planet Mars was on the seventh hour. Planet Mars was on the seventh hour, which follows Jupiter. Which is during the first hour of the second half of the night, meaning from midnight until an hour, hour after midnight would be Mars. Okay? Are you guys on Mars or are you still with me? Okay. Very good. Are women from Mars or... What was that saying? Men are from Mars and women are from Venus. <laughs> what? Uh, it's a great book. Oh, wonderful. Does it help you figure out women at all? <laughs> That's where you're wrong. You know why? Because there's three million books just like it. If that did the job, there would be no need for more books. Get it? So that means don't try to figure out women. Just listen to them. I get so emotional. <laughs> the Jews left Egypt on Thursday. Because... Makat Bechorot took place Wednesday night. The Jews left Egypt on Thursday morning, technically. Right? 
Kedamrinan be Shabbat perek Rabbi Akiva, okmo shekatuv hamefarashim, as it says in Gemara Shabbat, and Rabbi Akiva says, that's where the commentators say exactly when we left. So now, according to the seven hour cycle that we said, the sixth hour on Wednesday night was Jupiter, and the hour after that was Mars. Why is this significant? Because Jupiter has a positive influence. Jupiter's influence is positive. Mars, not so much. Because men are from Mars. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Women are not from Jupiter. How do you know Venus is any better? <laughs> Mars is not so positive. So now we can explain that the Makat Bechorot, which was slaying of the Egyptians, firstborns, and at the same time, because you have to understand there was two miracles here, right? There was Makat Bechorot, slaying of the Egyptian firstborns, and saving the Jewish firstborns. It wasn't just one miracle. The fact that it was, there was a separation between the Jewish firstborns and the Egyptian firstborns, that's a miracle. That's why every single year, there's a minhag that firstborns fast on the eve of Pesach. Ed of Pesach. Why? Because there was a miracle that nothing happened to the firstborns of the Jews. So there has to be a twofold miracle here. First, the firstborns of the Egyptians are getting spitten by, by God, and the Jewish ones are being saved. Now, if the makat bechorot, if the plague of the firstborns was a minute before midnight, which would be the end of the influence of Jupiter, then there would be not such a big miracle if the Jews were saved. Why? Because the Egyptians would say, ah, oh, it was the positive influence of Jupiter. So, they got lucky, quite literally. Right? They got lucky because the planets were smiling upon them. Jupiter was ruling at that moment. So the miracle wouldn't be that big. Okay, the main miracle was that the Egyptians were killed. The Egyptian firstborns were killed. Okay, we'll give you that. But the fact that your God saved the Jews, no, not so much. It was the planet. Jupiter was ruling at that time. In spite of the fact that Jupiter is a positive power, so to speak, and indeed, some would argue that the Jews didn't really have the merit to be saved from Egypt. So therefore, because Jupiter was ruling at that time, the Jews were saved. Meaning, they would say, you know what? The Jews weren't that good anyway. It's not like a huge miracle that God saved the Jews. Okay, the Egyptians were bad. We'll give it to you. That's why they got, they, they got, they got punished. But the Jews weren't that good either. But you know what? Because the planets were looking upon them favorably, Jupiter, they got saved. Now, now, what if the plague would happen a minute after midnight, which goes into Mars. Mars. Whoa, you guys are following. <laughs> I drink to that, the guys. I have spiked tea. Um, if it would be a minute after midnight, it would be Mars. Mars? Negative. Catastrophe. 
What would happen then? Since the, the, the influence, the negative influence, influence of Mars has already started, it would be the opposite. Then they would say, you know the fact that the Egyptians got punished? Not so bad. Not such a big miracle. It's got nothing to do with your God. Mars was angry. Mars was ruling at the time, and that's why the Egyptians got smitten. Because this, star, this, this planet was bad. But the fact that the Jews were saved, okay, that was a big ness. But the main part of this miracle was because of Mars. The Egyptians got punished because of Mars. The fact that the Jews were saved, okay, okay, a miracle. But I don't think it was like such a big miracle because what? Because at the same time, Mars was ruling. So the Egyptians got punished because Mars is negative. The Egyptians were unlucky. Okay? Following? And since this Makkah happened under the influence of Mars, they would be compelled to admit that, you know, the Jewish people were, were saved because they have some special zechut or merit. Now, however, God's intention was something different. Hashem wanted to smite the Egyptian firstborns exactly on the dot at midnight. Not a minute soon, not a minute after. Can you guess why? Yo, you're a genius. Because you get both powers. It's at basically, it's when Jupiter is punching out for the day and Mars is punching in. They don't want to do overtime, right? It's literally right at the crossroads where they both meet. This planet is leaving, the other one's on its way in. So they have no power to do good or bad. They haven't started their shift yet. You know? You go up to the you go up to the uh, 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 um, you go up to the desk and uh, you know Jupiter's like security. I'm sorry, I'm not working yet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my shift has not started. I have not punched in yet or punched out yet. You know, please <laughs> talk to the management. <laughs> so therefore, because it was right on the dot of 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 midnight, couldn't be bad or good. Right in smack in the middle. Ve'yanes kaful. Therefore, this miracle would be double. Ben b'makat b'hamitzrim ben b'atzalat Israel. Whether it was for the punishment of the Egyptians or saving the Jews, it was double because they couldn't say Jupiter saved the Jews and they couldn't say Mars punished the Egyptians because right it was right smack in the middle. This was the only way the Egyptians would say, oh, it's a Kadosh Baruch Hu. We can't blame Mars, we can't blame Jupiter either, because it was smack in the middle. None of them were working. They were between shifts. Can you hold questions to the end? Thanks so much. Now it's our answer. Now if Moshe Rabbeinu would have said, God's going to smite the Egyptian um, um, firstborns right smack at midnight, and the astrologers would do an error and miscalculate the time. Then they would say, Moshe is a liar. 
Lomar sheyan, it's kaful. Because why? Because they would say, Moshe Rabbeinu said that this nest is going to be a double miracle. But it wasn't a double miracle. It didn't happen smack, according to our calculations. Smack right at midnight. Sharem mitzad echad lo hayat sarich nes. Because one side of it didn't really require a miracle. One side was already helped by one of the planets. And this is why Moshe Rabbeinu said, at about midnight. Meaning to say, Whether it's before midnight, or after midnight, or at midnight exactly, The Egyptians will be hit bad and the Jews will be saved. Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to be safe. I don't want them to think like, oh, it's a double miracle. Da, da, da. So Moshe Rabbeinu was basically covering all the, all the bases. If it happens before, it's still going to be a miracle. If it happens after, it's still going to be a double miracle. If it's in the middle, it's a double miracle. Because I'm telling you, that's when HaKadosh Baruch who's going to do it. And just, I don't want to let you know when exactly, but it's going to be around then. But it's going to be the miracle. So basically, when you see a miracle happen at about midnight, you know it's God. I don't need to be exact with you. So now he says, <clears throat> Yo. How is it a miracle that the Jewish boys were saved? Because the Malkut was only on the Mitzri. How was, was it never, was there something mentioned about the firstborn Jewish boys too? Because in the Torah it says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu told the Jews that you have to go in your homes and put the blood of the, of the korban on your doors. Why? Why was all that needed? There was something there that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was saying, don't you be out. It's the whole miracle of Pesach. Right? So yes, there is definitely significance there. There was a huge ness. It's a huge ness showing HaKadosh Baruch Hu's divine providence, that I'm choosing who stays and who goes. No, 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 no. This, this is, this is, this is true. These planets, it, it's factual. But they, they were looking at how the Egyptians would. Because it was common knowledge at the time. So both the Egyptians and the Jews believed in it, hundred percent. It was common knowledge. So then, why would they think that Jupiter wasn't, from the Egyptian perspectives, their, their blessing? Because Egyptians still because they knew that Jupiter is positive, and the Egyptians were smitten. The Egyptians got killed, so they, they would they, they would automatically say, "Oh, because Jupiter is positive, the Jews didn't get killed." It is. So they were saying, "Yes, okay, the Egyptians deserve to be punished, right? That's a miracle from God." But the fact that the Jews were not punished, that's not such a miracle from God. That's because of Jupiter. So Jupiter is the punisher. Jupiter, no, was the savior of the Jews. The punisher of the Egyptians was God. So it's a half a miracle. I'm trying to understand from the 
perspective where there's two sides. That's we we so well. If, if if something bad happened to the Egyptians, then the Jews would say Jupiter has punished us by helping. The but that's not what happened. But that's what they would translate. So now, now, so he says, We haven't even come to the main point here. Even so, nevertheless, I don't understand, he says. Still, it doesn't answer why Moshe Rabbeinu changed the word of God. Hashem said, just say Bachatzot. Hashem said, at midnight, you should just say what Hashem said. How could Moshe Rabbeinu go and change it? Okay, he had his kavanot as to why he needed to change it, right? But still, how do you get to do that? So it says, Lo, Lo baruch baruch. Moshe Rabbeinu actually did not change God's word. On the Midrash, on that Pasuk that it says, and it was at midnight, it says, It says over there, he confirms the words of his servants and fulfills the counsel of his messengers. Meaning, Already HaKadosh Baruch Hu had promised Avraham Avinu that he's going to redeem B'nai Israel, his children, at midnight. That promise was already given. The Midrash says that promise was already given hundreds of years ago to our forefather Abraham. Abraham. That was already given. I'm going to go do this quickly. When Abraham Avinu went to fight the kings, the four kings. You guys know the story? Abraham Avinu went to save Lot that was kidnapped by the, by the four kings. Right? So he joined the five kings and he went to war with the four kings. Right? Over there it says Abraham Avinu actually won this battle at midnight. It's a mystical Kabbalistic thing that that's what happened. Right? Gilita le'ezrachi chatzot lel Pesach. As it says, that Hashem, at midnight of Pesach, you revealed yourself to Ezrachi, which is Abraham. It's pointing out to Abraham. Meaning that Midrash is saying that the killing of the firstborns was connected to the war of Ram Avinu, which also happened at midnight. Meaning Avram Avinu had this war with the four kings at midnight. And over there already the Midrash makes a connection and says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, just like Avram Avinu, you did the same thing with the firstborns. Because you wanted it to be at midnight. So Moshe Rabbeinu, when he said, Kachatzot Halayla, like midnight, he wasn't saying about midnight per se. He was doing a play on words. I could be saying at about midnight, or I could also mean at like the same midnight. Like which midnight? The same midnight that was promised to our forefather Abraham hundreds of years ago. That same midnight that same miracle of the midnight is going to happen at this midnight. So Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, I'm just going to play a, a game on words, basically. I could mean at about midnight. I could also mean like the midnight. Which midnight? Abraham Avinu's midnight. So here was a win-win situation for Moshe Rabbeinu. He said, I don't want them to make a mistake and it be a chilul Hashem to Hashem, desecration of God's name, for them to think, oh, it wasn't a double miracle. It was just a half a miracle, right? So I'm going to say, Kachatzia and when it does happen at midnight and they recognize, I'm going to say, I didn't change God's word. I said, like the midnight of Abraham Avinu. 
Claro? No. Like I said, this was just There's also another answer that says that when Hashem decreed that the Jews are going to be slaves to Avram Avinu in the, in the Brit Ben Abatarim, in the covenant with Avram Avinu, He said, it was at midnight. And He told them, your children are going to be slaves, servants, slaves uh, in a strange land for 400 years. It was at midnight. Therefore, in fact, because Hashem said that prophecy at midnight, it needed to end at midnight. 400 years exact to the second it needed to end. That's why Hashem wanted it to be a Bechatzi Laila. That's one of the reasons why it needed to be at midnight, connected to Avraham Avinu. Okay. Now, we just mentioned a whole bunch of things about celestial bodies and the powers they hold and how the Egyptians would say that it was Mars, it was Jupiter, so on and so forth. I'm going to share something with you that blew me away. Okay. Years ago, I was uh, in, a, in a class by Rav Zev Lef. He's a very famous Rav. He's a wonderful person. So, um, I just want to take you back a second. I'm sure a lot of us are thinking this. Okay? A lot of us are thinking, okay, if Moshe Rabbeinu had said at midnight, and it happened a minute after midnight, really? There would be room for questioning as to, oh, was it God? Was it not God? As we asked simply, the Zerah Shemshon also asked. You've already seen all the miracles that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has done. All the plagues of Mitzrayim. You're going to have the audacity to like doubt it now and go, oh, you know what? You said at midnight, but it wasn't so mid. Maybe you're wrong. Like the, the astrologers wouldn't look at their own clocks and be like, okay, maybe I was off by a minute. No, they're going to turn around and say, oh, you know what? It was, it was your God that was wrong. I don't believe anymore. Really? Are we really questioning the fact that such a thing could even happen? After all of that, you're going to have the audacity, the chutzpah and say, you know what? I don't believe anymore. I don't know. You kind of said midnight. Eh, it seemed 1201 to me. So you're a liar. That's it. I drop everything. Could that even be possible? The answer is yes. We've all seen it. We've all seen it in our lives. All the time. You could have a nest hit you like a brick wall. And if there is a little bit of something there, you'd be like, ah, okay. Happens. It happens. Right? Many people see many miracles in their lives and it takes literally ah, two weeks and they're over it. If you really felt it like a nest, it should change you immediately. But we, our minds have ways of making us feel, okay, halal, relax, it's not such a, it was maybe a miracle, it was a, okay, a bit of a miracle. All right. And that's what the Egyptians were also. Any minute amount of doubt would kill it completely. It would be like, okay, you said midnight, it wasn't midnight quite, okay, God doesn't exist. You said, uh, we, we see it all the time. We see it all the time. That's how human psyche works. We look for a way out all the time. That's how we convince ourselves that we're okay. That's how we convince ourselves that our way of life is fine. Right? How come this person did this and they're still wealthy? God doesn't exist. 
It's like every, everything has to like go into that. Ah, you know, there's, there's hundreds of different things that a person could do right or wrong in their life, but they'll cling on to one thing. Why did the Holocaust happen? You know why? Because God is bad. I don't believe in God. He doesn't even exist. So you could ask such a question from a person like, okay, okay, Holocaust bothers you, right? Nothing else in life ever bothered you? No other questions ever? You've never had any other question? This is the only thing that makes it or breaks it for you? That's it? There's no other good in the world? You've never seen anything positive in the world? This is the only thing that's just a... Like, this, 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 I don't understand. This, I don't get. But that's how people are. That's how we are. That's how we deal. Literally, that's how we deal. That's how our minds and our hearts deal with things. Because there's certain things we don't want to do in our lives, so we bring an excuse. You know why I don't keep Shabbat? Because so-and-so kept Shabbat, and he was a bad bacht. You have to, it means like misken, like a, you know, chaval. I don't know, how, how do you say bad bacht in English? Poor guy. Poor guy. Eh. You know? What, you don't see anybody that keeps Shabbat that has an amazing life? You don't see all of those. That one person that didn't, you know, that's your reason for life not making any sense anymore. That's it. How come this person was such a big tzaddik and he had such a hard life? I'm not doing it. That's how, that's how our minds play with us. That was my introduction. There was a scientist that lived not too long ago by the name of Immanuel Velikovsky. Emanuel Velikovsky had a lot of different ideas about the way the world is run. In fact, for many of his ideas, he was actually thrown out of the scientific community. He was chastised by almost all of scientific community. He lived at the same time as Einstein. He, in fact, wrote books I think he shared with Einstein. Some of the ideas that he had was checked and proofed by Einstein himself. Right? He was brilliant. He was a Russian Jew. And he was beyond brilliant. Some of the ideas, I'm going to tell you right now, really put people, made people uneasy. It, it, it sounded more heebie-jeebie than science. People just didn't like it. Scientists, the scientific world didn't like it. Didn't sound scientific to them. I'll read one of those ideas for you. Maybe we'll have a more of an understanding of what I'm talking about. Velikovsky theorized that the events that took place at the splitting of the sea and the plagues that took place in Egypt that biblically have been said to have happened signaled the emergence of Venus as it broke loose from Jupiter and swept through the solar system in a shape of a comet. This Venus comet, he suggested, almost collided with Mars, and the Earth before settling into its current orbit, causing our own planet to stop rotating for a brief moment, which caused chaos. Making the sea split, firstborns die, animals attack. All these things had to do with what? Planets. Although much of his evidence has been proven to be flawed, Velikovsky's basic premise that millennia ago some kind of ca catastrophe took place in our solar system has gained some acceptability. By studying the motion of makeup of asteroid belts, 
Astronomer Tom Van Flander has poised that there may have been two extra planets in our solar system and so on and so forth. Okay. This is something that he was thrown out of the scientific world because of. Had he actually found something? I remember Rob Zev left told me when we were in Shiri, he said, you know, Velikovsky used to say that all of these things happened because of Mars. And he still didn't believe in Akadosh Baruchu. That's the kicker. He believed that every single plague took place. But you know why it happened? Mars went crazy. I thought it was just a cuckoo scientist. Yet, every time I learned this, I would say, it could very well be that Mars had something to do with it. Because we know it is brought down that every miracle that Hashem, uh, that, uh, that Hashem makes in the world, He uses the world, He uses nature to bring about the miracles. He uses its creations to bring about the miracles. That's how Hashem runs things. Right? So I would say it could very well be that Mars had something to do with it. I don't know. But I never knew that in fact, it's a fact in the Zohar that it, yes, it could have. Because that hour was Mars's hour. Yet, he still didn't believe. It's been told that he just didn't believe. You want to know more? He also translated many manuscripts that were found in hieroglyphics in, in Egyptian. And he translated them as news. They were diaries of people. You'll be surprised at what he said. Some of these diaries were of Egyptian people that were writing about what is going on. Like, it's getting darker and darker. I've never, I've never experienced such darkness. Or animals have been attacking us and it's, it's chaotic and it's all because of the Jews. Yada, yada, yada. He translated this. Yet the other scientists disagreed with him. And they said, you're translating it wrong. It's actually a shopping list. Or whatever. You know? There was disagreements between the scientists. That's why they didn't really like him. Because they thought he's going too far into the Bible. He's trying to prove the Bible. Yet, yet all the things that he proved, that literally proves Judaism and the Torah, at the end, what did he say? It was Jupiter, Mars... Things like this happen. At that time, this is what was going on. He was literally onto something, right? But at the same time, you have to ask yourself a question. Who made Mars do that? If it was Mars. If it was Jupiter, who made Jupiter do that? Who puts these things into motion? There still has to be someone turning the thing. It doesn't happen on its own. That's why it's so important. You could have a scientist as brilliant as Emmanuel Velikovsky, that literally found evidence to the Exodus and everything that happened in Egypt, and still say, ah, could happen. Could happen. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu, when he told Paro when Hashem is going to hit the firstborns, he said, alayla. We asked, like, why? You think a minute would make a difference in their mind? They've seen all these miracles already. That one minute before or after is going to make it or break it? Yes. Yes, because we see it right here. Even in today's world, we see it. It could hit you like a brick in the face and you'll still say, ah, could happen. 
Mars, Jupiter, Venus, Sheminanam, planets are going crazy. That's how the human mind works. When you're trying to get out of the responsibility of the yoke of Torah, when you're trying to get out of the responsibility of being a Torah Jew, you will find any excuse to say, eh, did it really happen? I don't know. You know, someone was telling me the other day <clears throat> that um, a few years back, few years, I think few years, 20 years back, I think maybe, they found um, where, where it says, the Torah says that the Jews um, went into the Yamsuf, they found chariot wheels, wheels and axles of chariots, horse hooves and horseshoes, which date back, they've dated back to the time of the Exodus, when we say we came out of Egypt. So it's still there. They found it. One of them is actually made out of gold. They can't take it out of the bottom of the ocean because they're afraid it'll get destroyed. It's like, it's got its own museum there. Right? You could YouTube it, you could watch it. It's, it's unbelievable. Exactly where the Torah says the Jews crossed, that's where you find chariot wheels and nowhere else. Horseshoes, that's exactly where Az Yashir says all their chariots and their, all their horses went down in the ocean. Right? So someone brought it up to me and said, they mentioned it someone, someone said, ah, maybe it was a ship that was carrying chariots and horses and they all sank in that location. It could be. So I said, yes, it could be. And I could be from Mars. It could be. Just because something could be, it don't make it right. When the evidence is pointing to the most probable scenario, why are you picking some guy from Mars? It could be, I mean the Torah says they crossed here. The Jews have had a tradition that we crossed here. And the Torah says all the, all the chariots and all their horses, they went down into the ocean. The Torah says that. No one has ever said there was a ship that sank over there, but it could be. It just so happened that Paro in Egypt was ordering chariots from China because Honda had a sale or whatever it is, Japan. Yeah, he was doing wholesales on horses, even though the best horses are from Egypt. Egyptian horses are the greatest horses. But hey, you know what? Hyundai horses were doing much better in the rally races. So he felt, let me get a shipment from Japan of chariots and horses, put them on a ship. Oh, oi va voi. The ship sank. Oh, well. Give me a break. But that's what we do. Where's the ship? Where's the ship? Aliens came and ate it. It could be. Don't tell me it can't. It could be. I could not even be here right now. Prove I am. Maybe, maybe you're on shrooms. And you're imagining this whole thing. And the only person that's not on shrooms is me. And I'm actually sitting at home. I don't know why I see myself here. So many things could be. Is it probable? Eh. That you're on shrooms may be more probable. <laughs> but that's what my point is. This was an incredible Zera Shimshon. As to why Moshe Rabbeinu had a play on words. Because it takes just a little bit to make someone a non-believer. Just a little bit. 
All you need is an excuse. You could have all the facts. You could be a scientist that has found something that no one in history has ever been able to find. Until today, they're like, whoa, he was onto something. They're, they're little by little figuring it out. You could be that brilliant as to have found something that has been written in the Zohar from a thousand years ago. Two thousand years ago. It's a science, it's a knowledge that's not even out in the open today. And you found evidence of it. And still say, eh, eh, so what? So what? That's what we do on a different scale on a daily basis. We have to train ourselves to see the Yad of Hashem in everything. We have to train ourselves to see HaKadosh Baruch Hu in everything. Did I tell you the story of Yossi the cab driver? Yossi the cab driver was riding uh, in a cab in Eretz Israel and he picks up a Rav. You heard the story? Leave. Okay. <laughs> Yossi picks up this Rav in a cab in Yerushalayim. Um, and um, they're sitting and cab drivers are really nice usually. And he strikes a conversation with the Rav. You know, I don't know, me, myself, in a cab, on a plane, I don't want to talk to a soul. But he strikes a conversation. Uh, he goes, you're religious. He's got a beard and a hat and everything. He goes, again? He goes, yes, I am religious, as you can see. <laughs> yes, and he goes, ah, I knew you are because I can see the hat and the jacket. Yes, you are very, yes. Very. I have friends that are very, very, very Haredi. Me, not so much, but friends. This is all wonderful. He says, I tell you, I'm going to tell you a, a, nest, a, a story that will, it's crazy. He says, okay, please share. At the right. So he says, when we were in the army, one night I'm coming back to my tent. It was in the middle of some, some battle they were having. Come back to my tent and I'm on my way there and I hear screams. Everyone's screaming, ah! They're like calling out for my friend Moshe. So I go in and I see our friend Yaakov. I see our friend Yaakov and he's wrapped by a huge python. A huge snake has wrapped itself around him and he's squeezing tight and he literally cannot breathe. And people are trying to get the snake off. They can't. We're standing there with our guns. Everyone's trying to shoot. No one wants to shoot because if they shoot, it's going to go through. It's going to kill him. We're screaming. We're going crazy. We don't know what to do. Everyone's, it's chaotic in there. We don't know what to do. And, and, and you know, we're losing a friend. We were literally used losing a friend. He was going blue because he was squeezing the life out of him. True story, by the way. Squeezing the life out of him. And at that moment, one of our friends that was a little bit more religious than everyone else says, Yaakov, Yaakov. At least say Shema. Read Shema, say Shema. The last moment, say Shema. So with his last breaths, last ounce of energy, he muttered out, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ehad. And he barely knew the words. He says Shema, the snakes unravels and just leaves. Huge miracle. He's like, it was a net. I didn't know that. But I... I saw it with my own eyes. And then now, Yaakov became a Haredi. Now he's a Rav in the so-and-so city. He gives Shirurim and hey, it's Mamash. 
הוא אדם גדול, he's a big person now, people get ברכות, he's very חרדי. So the Rav goes, so what happened to you? He says, He says, Kvorad Arav, you're not listening, it happened to Yarov, not me. It happened to Yaakov, not me. Just remember that. This is what we deal. This is how we deal in our minds. Huge miracle for them, not me. Yes, a huge miracle happened. My friend became Shomer Shabbat. Yeah, I was there. I saw it. You don't understand. God is huge. God is big. Whew. Just for that, I'm going to drive to Shul this week. <laughs> You know, I'm saying it in, you know, I'm, I'm saying it because that's what happens. It's just, it's the way it is. It's the truth. It's the amet. This is what we do in one way or another, in different levels. That's how we deal. It's time. We need, we need to sometimes find the amet within ourselves. When we see of Yad Hashem, we see Yad Hashem in everything. Every moment we see the hand of God in everything. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there every single moment. We just have to kind of tune our minds and our hearts to see the Yad of Hashem and really believe that, oh my gosh, he's, he's paying attention. He's really paying attention. Not be like the laughable Egyptians, the Mitzrim. Not to be like the laughable, these articles that we laugh at right now. How much evidence do you need for the existence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu for you to be like, wake up! How much more do you need? It's incredible. And it happens every day to every single one of us. We should always be, we should always pray that HaKadosh Baruch Hu should open our eyes to see Him in every moment of our lives. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen ve'amen.